So I, I've kind of had a, like a, an epiphany this week, uh, like a moment of clarity, because we've had a couple milestones. Uh, one, I've officially been working from home for a year mm, uh, because of yeah. COVID-19. And then I kind of look back. Uh, I, I've been doing better about keeping up with my film log on Letterboxd. And I, I realized we just had the 93rd Academy Award nominations go out. And I did not realize, one, I think the last time that uh, Elisa and I were out of the apartment and with friends was for Cheryl, your Oscar party last year. Yeah. I, I don't think last... we went out after that. So I think that's the last time we were with people. It's the last <laughs> oh time God. I really got to see any of my friends, you know. <laughs> and I, I hadn't thought about that for a while. And then it hit me how uh, insulated I've been on my movie watching because typically I have like maybe three movies to watch that have been nominated for Best Picture that I had missed throughout the year. Uh, I've been watching nothing but horror movies, so I've only watched <laughs> one of the Best Picture nominations, which is uh, Promising Young Woman. Uh, and there's really no excuse because they've been streaming a ton of stuff. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, I've not this seen is, The Trial of Chicago 7. This is the first time that I've, well, in a few years, that I have seen almost all of them. And the only, I've only, there are only like three that I haven't seen yet because they cost a lot of money. But you know, I'm like, hell, wow, this is, I like this because I can see all the nominated films because they're all on these streaming services and it's awesome. Yeah, it's, I, I really have had no excuse. Like Nomadland's been out there for a little while, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, and then yeah. like uh, Mank is on, I think, Netflix. That actually led everything with 10 nominations. But then when I looked to see what that was about, I was like, oh, it's about the writing of Citizen Kane. Maybe I should probably see Citizen Kane before I see Mank. <laughs> you you haven't seen Citizen Kane. Oh, no. I, I've never yeah, seen what? Citizen Kane. I'd never wow. seen it either. Oh my gosh. How never, is that ever. possible? It's Citizen wow. Kane. <laughs> it's like yeah. it tops it, every it list of like greatest movies ever made, you know? Exactly. It is the greatest film of all time, time, it's, time, it, time. Yeah, it's kind of the, the when the film critics or when people who like film talk about good films they talk about citizen kane it's it's almost yeah. become you know the opposite where people don't want to talk about it because they're like it's yeah so everybody knows citizen kane why would i even mention it right uh so i, I guess you should watch it <laughs> I, I guess it's on my list My name's Elisa Gonzalez, and I had not seen Citizen Kane. I'm Andrew Lindy, and of course I've seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> I'm Bethany Brinton, and I have seen Citizen Kane. I'm Cheryl Jones, and yeah, I was a film major once, so yes, I have seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> I'm Joe Myers. I had not seen Citizen Kane. And this is It's On My List. This is the movie that was like, this is, this is, this is the inspiration for me wanting to, to join this podcast because I'd oh, never wow. seen it. And all I had ever heard was, you know, you gotta do, and the, you know, the, the famous kids in the hall skit where, you know, it's, he tells the story of Citizen Kane and it's so obvious that you should know what it is. 
And it, it, it's, yeah, I've oh, yeah. never seen it. I know, I know the references. I know the, you know, the visuals. And now I can put it all together because I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. And see, I always, like, I mean, I knew the end. I, I knew the Rosebud thing. I knew what Rosebud was. Oh, yeah, there's a big family guy bit about it, too. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it was, I'm sure I, I'm fairly positive the Simpsons did something for it. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, the peanuts yeah. ruined it my, whenever. My good, the Tiny Toons did it. but Yeah. <laughs> you Everybody it. spoiled it. Everyone's yeah. done it. it. And that was kind of my reasoning for not really watching it is I was like, well, I already know the end. And I thought the entire movie was just about that big mystery. And it kind of is, sort of. That's really kind of the MacGuffin to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. of, sure. I guess, who uh, the, the character was. But yeah, that was so. That was why I always hesitated. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like you said, it's kind of so ingrained in pop culture. It's like before anybody has seen Wizard of Oz, they kind of know the start, the middle, and then like there's a bucket of water at the end. But like you don't really <laughs> like. I I don't say that. Those facts won't ru ruin your viewing of Wizard of Oz and knowing that, spoilers for everyone who hasn't seen this movie from 1941, that uh, <laughs> Rosebud is referring to the, uh, to the sled. Like, like, yeah, it doesn't really spoil your no. enjoyment of the movie, the, I don't think. This, this is, I mean, well, as, as you say, it's from 1941, Bethany. It's, this is the 80th anniversary of this movie. Oh, man. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, wild? yeah, it's, it's been out there for a long time, and... Uh, it's a, it's inspired uh, so many things and, and people. Uh, there is something really interesting about, you know, if you pick a director and you kind of follow their journey and you see like through the decades what they've done and and to, to watch, you know, the way that Orson Welles' career kind of started with this, you know, film that became notorious. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, known as an actor as well and he's you know he stars in a handful of uh and makes some you know like kind of shakespearean things and different kind of epic style movies that go across you know decades of time a that that kind of, of becomes a, his a bit of a kenneth branagh hmm. if you will yeah and but he <laughs> and, and he has like a very certain style and it's it, it's really interesting to see it in citizen kane that he's had it from the beginning yeah. Yes. Yeah, it didn't like evolve really. Kind of like Kevin Smith. One of the things I like about this movie, and like, yes, we have seen it all in, um, at least Cheryl and I, and have seen it in film school, or basically the reason people kind of see this movie is because it's like, this is the movie you have to see. Like we were kind of saying, it's on the list of everything. Um, one of the things I like about it, though, is that it. For, for a movie made in the 40s, it feels a lot more modern than a lot of 40s films do, um, particularly yeah. because there's a little bit less of that uh, transatlantic accent that a lot of like the big mm. actors were using at the time. Uh. Um, and and the, the way, and this kind of ties into Mank, if, if you've seen Mank, the way that the dialogue is so quick and overlapping, but not kind of like shticky. Like if you've seen His Girl Friday, that's like... <laughs> Talk, 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 talk. Mm -hmm. But it, but it kind of feels like a, a play sort of thing. Citizen Kane here, it, it's people talking over each other. People can't hear each other. I'm trying to remember the scene, but it's, 
uh, oh, I think it's when when Kane is coming back from his his like European holiday, and and yeah. he's they find he's engaged, but everyone's talking over each other. They're crowding at the window. Somebody's on the phone going like, "What?" And he has you have to say it like seven times before yeah. the guy hears what he's saying. It's just kind of like this chaos, but it it feels. Real, like obviously it's not like a real conversation movies don't talk like people do but it feels more real than like if you if you were to watch like an Ingrid Bergman movie or something like that and so I think that's that's kind of why I like it. it's it's a sort of faux realism that that is a little more comfortable at least to audiences today as opposed I, to I like, wonder if that has yeah. to, to do with um, the that so many of them came from uh, the Mercury theater that they don't ah, come yes. from movies they come from their own kind of theater company that also i mean he did his radio productions as well uh so i i wonder if that was kind of that that was how they broke the mold of what people you know sounded like in movies and the way that Mm -hmm. you would expect it it did have a big grand theater feel because yeah you had all those those kind of screwball comedies and and things where yeah you had that fast talking career like newspaper woman mm-hmm. and you know they all had that certain way of talking that that Jennifer Jason Lee really does well in the Hudsucker Proxy mm-hmm. uh, that they really recaptured that but yeah this one I hadn't even thought about that before but it just doesn't use that yeah mm-hmm. and it totally could like I oh yeah it. If if it wanted to, it could absolutely go in that direction. Even with the, uh, the the I won't say weird now, because to now like now it's kind of almost common with the way that he frames things and and the way the camera is moving. Um, but even even if they were to to do that to do that like sort of fast talking transatlantic thing, I don't think it would ruin the movie, but I think it would take away a little bit of what's there. And I don't know. Yes. To me, it's just such a different film in its own era. It, it, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb for, for better or worse, uh, however people want to compare it. But um, I think that's one of the reasons I like it so much is it's so distinct. It's very hard to confuse with, with something else from that time. You, you know, it was it was funny. After I watched uh, Citizen Kane for, for this podcast, I wanted to uh, get some different viewpoints, get some extra information. So I went and I looked up specifically um, all the different times that TCM, Turner Classic Movies, mm-hmm. did a little intro for oh, Citizen cool. Kane. Because, oh, cool. of yeah. course, they must have shown it hundreds of times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes they have to update the intro. You know, it, uh, there were there were some with, uh, you know, Ben Mankiewicz, who is, uh, you know, related to the Mank from, <laughs> from yes. Mank. Yes. Uh, and uh, he, those were kind of interesting. But I went back to one that I believe was from, like, 2002, where Robert Osborne uh, had a guest on who was a guest programmer, uh, Garrett Brown. And if you don't know that name, uh, he was the inventor of the Steadicam. Oh, right. Uh, I was going to say it was familiar. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so uh, he picked movies that were cinematography. You know, the cinematography was beautiful or or Mm -hmm. outstanding. Mm -hmm. And so Robert Osborne turns to Garrett Brown and says, well, why, why did you pick Citizen Kane? And Garrett Brown says, well, it's hard to believe, but in my 59 years, I had never seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> That's really well, funny. Well, I don't <laughs> feel so bad now. I'm 51. Yeah, don't feel bad, folks. <laughs> I, I thought that was in so yeah. appropriate for, for this. <laughs> uh, and, the, the you know, Bethany, he did kind of echo what you were saying, where it's the, the look of this movie 
is so unique because what Orson Welles is doing with the camera is he's not coming from a movie style. Like he's thinking of the way to frame the shots entirely differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that was really fascinating. I, I really liked it. It's a, it was just a short little clip. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's fascinating to listen yeah. to this guy talk about, you know, what, making a movie and how the camera moves and and it was i thought it was really interesting and i was i was like i'm so glad i stumbled upon that like that's oh yeah yeah Yeah. that's one of those things where like you can't you know talking about going to film school like these that's the kind of thing that you want to hear if you were in a film class where you'd get some, some little bit of expertise like that it was absolutely gorgeous. The oh, the, yeah. the angles, yes. the the shadows, the the line, everything. I could just I could have this playing in the background. Just just visually, it was just so beautiful to look at. I really mm-hmm. love that. I'm gonna check that out for sure, Andrew. And I I think um, for me, when I think of Citizen Kane, I think of the the most striking shot for me is when uh, they they kind of zoom into the the window, the top window yeah. of El, the El Rancho, the the club that oh, right. uh, is owned yeah. by mm-hmm. uh, what Susan Alexander Kane. Yes. So it's it's that shot is you know obviously it is not one single shot the camera there is a cut that they cover with a, a bolt of lightning, but yeah. uh, it's it's still so like the way that it you know to think to think of you know at that time thinking of a shot like that and going we're going to do this we're going to make this work and it will look good mm-hmm. uh it's it's really gorgeous yeah lots of uh, great use of miniatures kind of especially in the beginning um mm-hmm. and uh, i'm trying to think I'm, I'm trying to think of some of like my quote-unquote favorite shots or at least the ones that i think of and and when i first saw this it, it was it wasn't film school and at that time i wasn't really versed enough in in movie language to really tell you the difference between like a good or good cinematographer or bad cinematographer um and so when when some of these things were kind of pointed out to me i was like oh yeah that is kind of amazing the the shot when we see charles as as a boy playing in the snow and you you're backing up through the the cabin so you're, you're hearing the conversation of his parents and then um his his caretaker but and and you don't notice this like intentionally as the camera kind of pulls back set people are basically having to move the scene in in front of the camera while it's moving backwards because you end up behind like a table and some chairs and things like that which would not have worked if the camera was just moving and people didn't fill it in but the only way you can kind of tell that 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 happened if you if you aren't like a movie person is uh i forget his name but the caretaker's top hat is on the table it's like a cool little Thing and it's kind of wobbling <laughs> because they had oh, just wow. they had just slid the table into the shot and that's really the only thing that is kind of a giveaway for how they how they did that and it's so smooth and seamless that if you don't look for it you you won't really notice it which is kind of I think what good what good movie making is <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never I never suspected that that's wow. amazing that's really cool so, yeah. <laughs> that's really great also, what really stuck with me in the very beginning, kind of not really knowing what the story structure of this film was going to be, if you had just set me down in front of the television and threw this on, 
I would have thought it was a horror movie at the very, very beginning because it really did. Joe, you say that about a lot. I do because, you know, that is my viewpoint, of course. But honestly, think about that first little part where it's showing like the different sections of Xanadu and there's like, you know, the old, it it looks like an old castle in the background, like, you know, Dracula's castle or whatever. And you've got all these weird shots of monkeys and cages and all kinds of craziness. It really did have that vibe to me at the very beginning. It does, yeah. It's got a very creepy vibe when it starts, and you're like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, and it's not until you then start to go backward to piece his story together, you know, as as this was, was, uh, as a reporter, right? So he's, they're trying to get a different kind of version of his story than what everybody else is going to have. And, uh, yeah, then you start to roll backward and see, like, okay, here's how his life came together, but... Yeah, first I, you're I, like, what? I want to know, Joe and Elisa, how, wh- what did you think of, I, I think the, the, Joe, you mentioned the structure of this movie is a little odd because the first, you know, 15 minutes or so is actually giving you kind of the story that you would know if you were in this world, if you would know who, who Kane was. But then the, the rest of the movie is going, okay, well, some of those things aren't true, right? So let's go and ask the people who were actually there and what really happened. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was kind of like a reverse gump for me. Instead of you know him sitting there oh, and, yeah. and yeah. him telling you all that happened in his life, you have someone trying to track down the true story of his life, kind of section by section. So I, I really did enjoy uh, how they structured that. Yeah, I, I really. It's it's funny because you know so many of these films, you you've known the 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 pop culture references and stuff and part of the reason why I never watched it was like, well, I've heard everything. I've heard the spoiler. I've heard, you know, I just kind of was like, it was always one of those films on the back burner. So finally seeing it unfold and, and told the way it was, was kind of a, kind of startling to me. I wasn't expecting it. And, um, you know, you, you, you kind of think, you know, where it's going and it, and it, and it takes a twist or whatever. I, that was surprising to me too. I, I, I really enjoyed how they un, unfolded the story. And then the way they did it with the reporters and everything, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, I think it's a really cool structure to, you know, as a method of telling the story of, oh, okay, first we're going to get it from this character's perspective by going to his archives and reading what he noted about this guy. And then we're going to see it from this other person's perspective mm. to see this next yeah. part of his life. And then this next person in his life is going to give us that perspective and, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting way of unfolding a person's story. Yeah, I even love the fact that when he first goes to Susan, she just won't talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. instead of it just being the same beat over and over again, like there there is a, a brick wall for him at that point, and he's got to move on, and then he does end up coming back to her. I, I really enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes the whole thing like, oh, like you if she had told her story then it would have gone kind of it would have gone out of order and so she says no and you kind of go back around to the start and then she comes in where she belongs in the timeline you know mm-hmm. like yeah and i do i i think the the timeline of this movie is is interesting as well it starts you know kind of the earliest date that we get is like 1871 right like it's 
Is that yeah. that where we where we meet him? Like when he's a boy? Like he's a boy, yeah. 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 And so it's kind of like he, one of the things you hear him saying is like Union forever. So for him, yes. like the Civil right. War had just happened. Like it's really yeah. Weird. It's really interesting to think of, you know, like in 1941, they're referencing the Civil War, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. That's really, so, that was something that hit me this time. Where I was like, oh my God, he's saying Union forever because yeah. of the Civil War. Yeah. But we've come so far since then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody, nobody talks yeah. about that anymore. No. No. <laughs> But I, but can I we all like, just to, the? I know it's an audio <laughs> podcast. We all just looked at the camera, right? That was just, <laughs> <laughs> just like I was Jim from the office. <laughs> I was oh thinking Norman fell. <laughs> I think the other thing that really threw me was the fact that his mom, I guess in a way, kind of sells him to someone. Yeah. Yeah, that was that. Yeah. That really threw me. I'm like, did they really do that back then? But it took me a few watches to kind of fully grasp that whole scene, especially because, like, yeah, uh, like I mentioned before, it's it's pretty part. fast. The the yeah. dialogue and like and like yeah and like there's one key part. There's a there's a bunch of key parts kind of flying around and like right. his dad is just kind of grumbling, like looks a little drunk in the background. Like, well, I should have a say. I'm his father. And then it's like, I I you don't really know who, uh, I'm going to just keep calling him the caretaker, but what was his actual name? Oh, uh, um, da, 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 um, Thatcher. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so Thatcher is there kind of ready to, ready to take him away and he becomes a main character, but we really don't see the, the mother or father again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're talking about like, Oh, left this trust. It's to him and her, but it should be to the father as well. And he's getting mad. And so you kind of honestly have to see it a few times before you really understand like, okay, she doesn't want him to grow up in this tiny ass little place, <laughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. tiny little place. <laughs> um, and then suddenly come into a ton of money when he's like in his, in his twenties and he's not know anything, yeah. 25, not know anything of the world. Um, and doesn't want him to grow up under his father who is likely abusive, but you know what? Probably every other father was at the same time at, at that time. Um, uh, just kind of wants to make sure he has the quote-unquote best life. I think she's trying to make him into like a well-educated human being because he's going to have a huge responsibility with this gigantic sum of money that he's definitely going to have. <laughs> yeah, so well, she kind of pays Thatcher like a, I guess a stipend to overlook him and his mm-hmm. education and it, you know him growing up. And it was uh, what was it like oil on the land that they found or whatever. It was, yes. it was the silver it's a mine because it was silver. Oh, it was a mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she signs the she signs him away to the bank along with management of the gold mine, and uh, but I felt that that one comment that she makes at the end to the to her husband, who I wasn't certain was his father or not, but I guess probably, mm. um, but that she makes a comment to him, basically saying like, "Oh, you." you think he should be beaten is that it that's why i'm don't want him around you so to me that was the key that there is a you know there is an abusive relationship there and she does not want him to be subjected to that so she mm-hmm. is giving him a way out of that and and because so, at first she looks very cold and you're like oh is she yeah just like signing him yeah. away so she gets all this money but mm-hmm. it's the opposite really that they are getting a certain she and the husband they're getting a certain amount of money 
and everything else is going to the bank, including Charles. Well, and and the the they say it a couple of times in that scene. It's all in her name. Right. Yes. The, yes. Yeah, she runs this like boarding house, and a lodger died there and left it yeah. to her. It's in yeah. her oh, okay. name, and not the husband's at all. Right. Yeah. Like that. I no I I think that yeah. is such a yeah. The way they hit on that is just like no, it's in her name. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there were a couple times that was um, Mary, his mother, played by Agnes Moorhead, who I loved mm-hmm. in this. Oh, fantastic! Because yeah. she could kill you with a look. There were a oh, few yeah. times <laughs> when he started talking that she looked over at him. I'm like, oh, when this gentleman leaves with this boy, she is gonna punch him right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, but this this scene, of course, is the whole crux of the movie um, mm-hmm. that we see that I mean, because he's playing with the sled there that we know because we've all seen this pop culture spoilers that Rosebud is his sled. So everything about his life comes back to this moment. And it's and it's that childhood wound that mm-hmm. he's constantly dealing with. And, and when um, Leland, uh, Jedediah Leland, played by Joseph Cotton, who mm-hmm. ends up becoming his sort of his business partner throughout, or his friend throughout this, and is involved in a lot of the businesses. Um, when he describes Cain, he describes him, you know, spot on as a narcissist, which mm-hmm. comes out of that childhood wound. So that's, you know, the whole movie is about that when you get down to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you could even, um, you know, you're describing as a childhood wound, but even some some people would look at that and go, that was his last truly happy moment. Yeah, right. well, that's, and that's what that is, is that, yeah. that well, it, he all could, of that got he, taken away. Yeah. We don't even know the way that Cain viewed that moment as like, oh, that was my last happy moment, or oh, this is the, that was the worst day of my life. Like that's right. kind of the, I, I think that's one of the, the, part of the staying power of Citizen Kane is there's so yeah. many things that are answered just enough that you know what they are, but you don't yes. know how it affected all the people around. You, you can make a lot and of how theories, they perceive but it. yeah. it's, it's fun to think about. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing too is it, that, yeah, that goes throughout the movie is Yes, obviously this was, you know, the childhood thing that happened that caused the wound, but how he really felt about it, you know, is not something he ever, he never talked about this with anybody. Nobody knew what Rosebud was because he didn't yeah. talk about, you know, this thing and, and maybe he didn't even fully recognize it until on his deathbed, you know, that when he says Rosebud, but... Yeah, so he's he. There's this hidden part of Kane that they can't. That's that one puzzle piece that can't ever be fit in because nobody knows what it is, and he, and he never mm-hmm. made it known to anyone. Yeah, and it just makes that that ending scene when when the when everything goes up in flames. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it hits so hard because <laughs> you're like they'll <laughs> never know. Uh-huh. Right? You're like it's right there. <laughs> Look at it. Oh yeah, that and and the the uh, the kind of back and forth like little dialogue of the worker who's just like ah throw this junk on the fire because like at that point they're, right. they're categorizing his estate by like oh all these statues he bought in Europe and then oh these like knickknacks and like 
pieces of garbage that nobody cares about. <laughs> and one of those things is the sled. <laughs> right. My, that, and I'm that, wondering, that is that the original thing. sled? Did he find that? Or is it just, you know, the, the, the name brand? Did he find a copy of it? And, uh, and, and immediately mm-hmm. my mind is like, how did he get it? Where did it come from? Did he go back yeah. to, you know, he just, you're, it, the story continues, even though, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. still, you're, I'm still thinking about it. I, and I think the way that they visualize it in those final scenes where the reporter is walking through the masses of items that have, you know, he's that Kane has accrued throughout his mm-hmm. life, that is just so visually like, oh, my God. They say it early in the film that, you know, like, you can't even index the amount of, you know, all the things. You can't even make a, a list of them because yeah. it's so many things that he has bought and keeps around his estate. Uh, but when you actually see it at the end, it is like, this is you know his whole life he has just been buying things and putting them here and not ever thinking about them ever again and i love that shot uh because it goes back to a moment with him and jed when jed walks into like his little office where he's at a desk he's like you're still eating and kane looks at him he's like i'm still hungry and that like was (laughs) every facet of that dude's life yeah right well and that's all that's all stuff that's trying to fill that hole from his childhood where he didn't have he didn't have parents anymore he didn't have family anymore all he had was a bank and a caretaker and so there's this desire to keep trying to fill that hole. i mean we all do it in various ways there's this desire to fill whatever the hole is whatever mm-hmm. the emptiness is with things and food and whatever and so he was constantly accumulating because he had the ability to do that as well so just keep filling but you're never full we'll be right back with more it's on my list hi this is cheryl you've heard me on it's on my list but have you heard me on my long-running show movies made me every two weeks i sit down with a guest who shares the five movies that made them who they are We also go beyond movies to talk about three other things that influence them to be them. You'll hear from everyone from a coffee shop waitress to Clancy Brown as we delve into the movies that shaped our philosophies, careers, and lives. Hear it on MMMPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. One of my favorite lines to kind of sum up the film actually comes really early, which I always forget because it's such a like closing moment. They kind of jump to, so after after we, we see uh, Thatcher take off with, with boy, boy Charles, um, they, they jump around and it's, and it's kind of, he's reading Kane's correspondence to him as he, as he grows up. So he's reading letters and kind of getting perturbed, but he's, he's literally saying it into the camera and like, and kind of getting mad. And then it cuts to, let me see, he says like, I want to run a newspaper. And then we immediately jump to when the newspaper is closing and he has to sign away all the rights and returns and everything like that. And one of my favorite lines that he says is if I'm going to paraphrase, he's like, if, if I wasn't, rich i think i could have been a really great man (laughs) (laughs) and and it's so funny to me that that line is so early on but i think they kind of want it to stick in your head as you see all the things he's doing because like yes he absolutely is a narcissist but to an extent like he's he's viewing himself in a narcissistic lens but like as a voice of the people as like champion of the of the little working class and he just absolutely gets like beaten down and and disillusioned with everything he was ever trying to do and then he just goes back to like 
filling his void and 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 taking over poor woman's life that doesn't want to be taken over and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind well, the, of the, the other yeah. thing with the the newspaper that i thought was a, a crazy line because it, i think it also resonates today is you know uh, thatcher's telling him you lost you know like what a million dollars or something in a yes. year <laughs> yeah and then he says and next year i'll lose another million and i'll yeah. lose a million every year and guess how many years i could do that for <laughs> like, oh my god yeah, i have said, to close this place in uh, yeah, 60 the, years yeah i wrote the yeah. quote yeah that's exactly what he says i wrote that quote down because yeah that sticks out i'll have to close it and at, at a cost of a million a year i'll have to close this place in 60 years yeah and <laughs> and it's kind of like oh we still have Hmm, we still have billionaires like that, huh? Don't we? Yes. <laughs> Where well, they they take on kind of these things that lose money just so they can continue with their narcissism, continue oh, taking yeah. out their competitors. It's right. it's wild. Well, and then I thought it was really interesting. I, I put a star next to it in my notes that, uh, you know, because then Kane uh, runs for, is it Senate he runs for? What does he run for? Mayor. 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 Oh, is it just mayor? Okay. And, mayor or uh, governor? I don't know one of those. Maybe mayor. And so he is. Okay. (laughs) I watched it a while ago. So um, then his newspaper, the Inquirer, um, Inquirer, uh, Mm -hmm. they had this headline, you know, so they're standing there holding the paper with the headline, Kane wins. Oh my gosh. But he doesn't. And so they have to change the headline. And what they change to is fraud at polls. Fraud and at I just, polls. I, I fell thought, out oh of my, my chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was like, it's. I was like screaming. It's like this was used as a playbook for yes. certain people. <laughs> well, like, there was oh, an earlier wow. scene too where he was talking the the Jed, and I forgot. I'm going to paraphrase also where he basically says. Well, you can't run that headline. We don't have the news to back it up. And he's like, "No, the headline makes the news." And I was like, yes. "Oh." Right. Holy crap. Okay, I know what we're getting into now. <laughs> this is I I'm, I'm going to jump to the the acting in this pretty quick because I've just every actor is brilliant with maybe a few exceptions in like a few scenes. Like that's the only caveat I'm going to make, but like every single person and this is probably one of my favorite if not my favorite uh introductions to a main character ever cuz it's it's a it's a huge buildup. Like, like we were saying, you jump around in time, you go to like, here's his like obituary newsreel thing. Like, and all newsreels are kind of grandiose, but that's like, especially so. And like we're saying, you're jumping around, you're kind of waiting to see him from like a first person perspective. And so like, of course you see him as a boy. And then we jump through to Thatcher kind of getting mad at all the correspondence from this like 18, 19, 20 year old kid. And then we jump to like really quickly, like I was saying to like, I would guess 40-something-year-old Kane closing the newspaper, and then we jump back to him. Uh, he does that little, like, spin-around-in-the-chair reveal <laughs> of, like, mm-hmm. young 25, 26-year-old Kane running his newspaper. Um, yeah. And it's just that whole scene, that whole back-and-forth dialogue, like like you were saying, where it's, like, the uh, million dollars I can afford to close this place in, in 60 years. The the way he's refuting everything that Thatcher is... Tr- is oh, no, no, oh, yes. Yes, Thatcher is in this scene. Later, it's the, the owner of the newspaper that he kind of just shoves aside. Um, but just the... the the like weird charm, the weird narcissistic charm and kind yes. of like cocksuredness of this kid. And you, you're like immediately rooting for him. You're just like, oh, he's oh, fun. Yeah. I want to see what he's going to do. Yeah. When he's young. <laughs> yeah. He's so lively and, and so energetic mm-hmm. that you just you're like, yeah, let's do this. I, I want to 
be part of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the the amazing thing to me that you like when you're watching it and you're kind of into it, you forget is like all of these people are playing these characters at all of these ages mm-hmm. in this entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. So Orson Welles was like however young he was in that first scene when the when the movie was made and is like mid twenties, late twenties, and he plays this character through middle age, through old age, through fatherhood, through first marriage, through second marriage. And you're never really thinking that it's inauthentic. <laughs> like right. it, it's just right. so well done. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I I remember being uh impressed by the by the makeup the first time that I saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um especially um Joseph Cotton. When they get to him, I remember thinking like he's, you know, he's playing these two, you can, t- it's like the way he's playing it is very much, you see that this is what that young man that we met turned into. Yeah. Like it it's not, it it's not fake. like the same person with yeah. a, with a, with an older voice. It's like, mm-hmm. this is kind of the, the, the weariness, <laughs> weariness <laughs> of the world that he's kind of taken on as he's become old and how he keeps asking for cigars. <laughs> That's right. Some of that scene to me felt the most like of all of it felt most like a stage production. I don't know. It was yeah. just this. He kept asking for it and it was like, oh, this feels very kind of scripty in this part, but uh, but it didn't, you know, didn't ruin it or anything. I would say that, yeah, I, I think uh, I think Leland's old age performance, well, it, it is good. It I think, you, like, like Cheryl was saying, it might have been the writing at that scene or something. It feels a little bit slow or stilted or forced just now that maybe, scene in particular maybe but kind of everybody else with their interviews I, I really really enjoyed yeah and maybe that's the part maybe Orson Welles wrote that part <laughs> Joseph Mackowitz having written yeah. the rest share his, share his Oscar now that we've seen Mank and we know how this you know more about yeah. how this went down so not yet I haven't seen it yet <laughs> oh well, you've got to see. It. It's a good movie. I really enjoyed it, and I and I think it's interesting that Mank is, in many ways, structured similarly to Citizen King, yeah. and and is obviously is filmed in black and white to give that same feel. I think it's a really interesting. I think now Elisa, having freshly seen Citizen Kane, and then going into Mank, I think it will make a it a really interesting experience. Yeah, that's definitely the plan. And I, I yeah, yeah I, I'm, I definitely, I want to see Citizen Kane again because, like I said, it, it was beautiful. And there's so many things I'm sure I missed because I was too busy thinking about something else that happened in the plot. Um, oh, yeah, it's fast. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, 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 I want to check it out again. I just, I do just want to say that in a remake of Citizen Kane, and God forbid anyone should ever actually do that, but if there was one, uh, Susan's singing instructor would very definitely be played by Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, he looked no, like him. No, no. And then, yeah, it was all I could think of while that guy was on screen. I'm like, oh, that's that. That's him for sure. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Cohen has has seen that and gone like, that's my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks nice, just like me. Oh man, I've also been the piano player in those voice lessons. Where oh just my getting, gosh. Like, yelled at, and I have to sit there and go, okay. Oh my god. Wait my turn. Stay on. <laughs> that was some of my. There was there were some uh, singing in the rain moments with uh, oh, I forget the character's name that, that we all you know I can't stand him you know the vocal yeah. coach oh yeah she um, yes, that was what was Susan her name Foster Kane Susan you reminded me of that, that so much she was fantastic mm-hmm. oh yeah 
Yeah, every every, every actor. And I, I, I really, I think on this particular watch, I've probably seen this movie maybe like, I'm estimating five to seven times at this point. Yeah, um, wow. On this watch, I really, really enjoyed watching uh, Mr. Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of hadn't really, <laughs> ooh, interesting. I kind of hadn't really given him his due, I guess, on the last few viewings. But on these, he kind of just like, workhorses everybody else through the scene because he has a lot of dialogue he has to do it pretty quickly and he's supposed to be serious and funny kind of at the same time because Leland and Kane at least at the point when they're starting the newspaper they're they're basically college buddies like starting a, 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 a small startup I guess would be the equivalent today um, <laughs> yes. not sleeping eating putting a giant four-poster bed in the office right and so Bernstein is a little bit older and he's kind of along for the ride but he also kind of has to be the voice of not reason, but kind of the more seasoned voice, I guess, of the three, but still kind of play around with them like like they're all college buddies. And he does that in every scene, even as they, they age and they get older. He's still kind of there and being like fun and charming, but also helping them get down to business. It's, I don't know, I, that was that was I, like my particular lens no, I, on, this, I do on think this watching. <laughs> what makes Bernstein so interesting is that even, you know, when he's being interviewed later, you can tell he he looks up to Kane like yeah. no one else. He is like, this guy gave me the best job in my life. He set me mm-hmm. up. I'm, I've got everything I have because of this guy. Like he has that giant, you know, he's in that office and he has that giant portrait of, of Oh, Kane that's kind of. right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we haven't addressed the obvious thing that, you know, everybody knows about it and that it is made very clear in Mank, which is that ah. Kane is based on on uh, William Randolph Hearst and what Zana, and ah. right and Xanadu is there, Hearst Castle and yeah there, you know. there there is some other influences but it is yeah yeah Mank Mank tackles the the Hearst angle mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, I was do, waiting I, oh go ahead go ahead no I I kind of wanted to know has anyone been to Hearst Castle yeah a I've long been time ago yeah I have not no yeah I went there a long time ago and I and you know, I was like a 10 year old or whatever with my yeah. parents on a trip. So I didn't, you know, get like the importance. <laughs> it was just kind of like, oh, it's a vacation. Oh, it's a weird big castle. And now thinking yeah. back on it, I'm just like, that is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's a really <laughs> weird this thing. Yeah. Huge castle. And now people go and pay to look at it because it's like, wow, what a big place. Yeah. What a <laughs> well, I mean, crazy... and, yeah. And he had like the basically a zoo and like, like the zebras yeah yeah he was kind of the first to do that you know first rich person to start doing those really weird things that then that everybody knew about you know yeah and that kind of public scale yeah and to just build this giant castle of your own with yeah all these antiquity kind of things and uh yeah yeah, I think uh, Hearst Castle, there's like four or five different tours you can take. You take the Good garden man. tour, or you can take the, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, all it, anybody it, ever wants to do is swim in all those pools. Which Right, right. There, it's absolutely to, gorgeous. When I used to follow Chris Hardwick, uh, it really, uh, it, it bothered me when he got to swim in all those pools because he was <laughs> the <laughs> oh, like, man, yeah. that ain't right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the only new Citizen Kane. Good right. lord! Oh my well, god! Well, no, the, the only like equivalent I could maybe think of today for for all you you young kids not listening to this podcast um, would be if somebody did a absolute like takedown of Jeff Bezos or even maybe like uh, Elon Musk. 
in oh, a movie. Definitely. Elon Musk. Like, yeah, yeah. E- Elon it's, Musk it's, might it's be that thing. more of a fit because I think didn't he get yeah. some of his money from his father's like yeah diamond so. mines or something? Yes, South African yeah. diamond mines that yeah. Exploits these, people. Yeah. And he's like, I did these, it on my own, and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. all these self-made men who aren't self-made at all. Yeah. Yes, yes. So yeah, that's why this film was was buried, and I, I don't want to get too much into that history because it's kind of boring and sad. And go watch Mank, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like nobody saw this when it came out. It did win a, a some Oscars. I can't remember which ones. It won, won for a screenplay. Screenplay, yeah, screenplay. Oh right, that's it. Funny that Mink, yeah, Mink didn't get nominated for that. <laughs> right. Won one Oscar. But it was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. I, yeah, and I had, of course. I had read that it kind of took 10 years for people to come back to this movie. Like it was, I think it was re-released yeah. and people were like, oh, here's this movie. <laughs> well, and what's... Good. What's really sad about this is that, like, after this, yeah, Orson Welles was, like, slightly, I'm going to say slightly because he still got to make some movies later, but slightly blackballed in Hollywood because nobody wanted to work with him. He was basically radioactive because he decided to make his first movie about the most powerful human being in the world. Um, <laughs> but then the movies he did make later, like, kind of a, kind of had a shelf life like Citizen Kane. Like, at the time, people were like, oh, whatever. But over time and especially after his death they were revisited and go like oh wow these are actually brilliant and the the guy passed away kind of in his old age literally doing like i'm sure everybody's seen that that drunk champagne commercial and uh Uh transformers voices like the guy was a a genius have you ever have you ever heard the recording of the the frozen peas commercial oh i have yes mark and brian uh, radio djs here used to play it all the time and it's it's quite something of him recording for this you know bird's eye or whoever uh Mm -hmm. frozen peas this commercial and just the director of it telling him oh do it differently whatever and his attitude about it is hilarious and he's like how can i say it like this if that means this and it's not what we're trying this doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense what are you telling me and like (laughs) it's this older oh yeah oh my god look it up i'm sure it's available on youtube or something but it's very funny and uncomfortable. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I always go to the the Paul Masson. Um, yes. We will still know wine before it's time. I remember oh, right, that. right. Anytime I see that brand in like the grocery store, oh, I just start laughing. Absolutely, you gotta say the thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, like he did a lot of. You'll you'll see him on a lot of different. Like if you watch older shows, you know, you'll see him on things, variety shows and whatnot. Like he. Yeah. He was around a lot. It's just, yeah, he kind right. of, as he aged, he, I don't know, became, I don't want to say a bit of a joke. It was just, so he became something very different than what he started as, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and when he started, he was he was the wonderkind. He was given yeah. a blank check from, from RKO and said, make a movie. Make your first movie with as much money and time as you want. Wow. <laughs> Which right. Is- insanity <laughs> right which is what they address in make that he's like yeah write yes. it you write whatever you you how, write yeah. it how you want to write it because we can do anything there's mm-hmm. no there's no one to interfere with us how did how did everybody else uh personally feel about this movie like like it dislike it favorite don't need to see it again ever <laughs> uh, coming right off of it i didn't i was i was like mm. really I, it, it didn't really strike me i'm like that's the greatest movie you know, and, and but the as time went on and I thought about it more and then I read about it more, um, again, visually, I, stunning. 
and I like it and I am going to, you know, watch it again because I think on a first viewing, it was just a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, sure. And then, you know, it, what, what caught me and it's one of the scenes that they show at every Oscars at every award is that of when he's applauding <laughs> furiously <laughs> and I it's always so assumed sad. it was for a great monumentous uh, pivotal moment that it was oh very happy and when I watched it I was just like oh my god oh <laughs> this it's, is so it's, sad oh, this is so, so heart-wrenching you your skin crawls just like oh no that was probably yeah. one of the biggest uh weird revelations of that movie like yeah. I knew I knew the irony of Rosebud but that that scene so now when I watch it you know I <laughs> I just always thought somebody whenever they use that that gif of you know applause or like it's the greatest thing ever it's like no oh, yeah. no it's not <laughs> It's the exact opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, right. I'll echo. I Coming right off of it, I'm like, this movie was super dull. I don't understand what people see in it. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, I still think it's a little slow, but it's technically flawless. So now mm-hmm. I do kind of understand where everyone holds it up as the best film ever. Uh, for my money, based off of what we've seen so far, I, I would watch Casablanca like five times before I would watch this one again. Mm-hmm. But I have softened a bit on that initial uh, response right after we finished it. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm like your polar opposite on that. But <laughs> I watched this a thousand <laughs> times before Casablanca again. But uh, but yeah, I, I you know trying to think back to the first time seeing this movie back in film school. Um, I do recall liking it and and it it did feel slower than it does than it feels to me now watching it mm-hmm. um just because it's it seems like a longer movie than what it is it's two hours and it seems you know considerably longer the first it time does. you watch it but but like you said elisa it's just there's so much packed into it uh that it's a little difficult but i do recall overall liking it and realizing oh, okay you know, maybe I didn't quite understand then why it was considered the greatest film ever made, but I really saw, you know, there was something really interesting about it. And yeah, it does take multiple viewings, I think, over the course mm-hmm. of time. It's not one you want to sit and watch again the next day, you know, but if you, <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. see it a handful of times over the, over the years, I think every time you get it a little bit more, you know, like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I see now what what makes this so great and i enjoy it more each time i watch it i i will say uh for me uh the my it's not my favorite orson welles directed film i do i really 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 enjoy the lady from shanghai i think that i still have not seen that one yeah it's seen that it's so good it's a it's very noir and very like uh all the you know, it's hard to root for any character. They're also kind of mixed up and in, in, in their bad ways. Uh, but I think it's it's such a it's so compelling and so such a kind of an odd little story. Um, but yeah, I can you know I only just and I only just recently watched like last year his second film, The Magnificent Ambersons, which is also very Ooh. good. But that one he had trouble with because the studio cut it down. It's like under yeah. ninety minutes and. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had some of those issues throughout, throughout his time as a as a filmmaker. But 
even that, even in its short form, I was like, oh my god, this is, you know, I can tell, like, Citizen Kane, he was just, he made his kind of movie, and he just wanted to keep making that kind yeah. of movie, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, like, I, I think of it as kind of a fun watch, because it's got a lot going on, so you're never, you're never kind of left sitting there, like, okay, what's, what's happening in this movie? There's always something going on in it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I kind of follow along with with like a mixture of everybody's opinions because <laughs> I think the first time I saw it it was in film class and it was it was like a history of film I don't know 101 102 whichever and and usually each class period would be devoted to like okay this period of time from or this decade we were talking about like these three movies and why they shaped whatever and then Citizen Kane got its own class period <laughs> like that was the <laughs> only movie we talked about and we were kind of divvied off into groups and my group just happened to, to fall on that day. So we had to do like some research beforehand and kind of give a little speech to the class on it. And I, I really enjoyed that project. Cause like the more kind of like you guys were saying, the more background you get on it, the more you dig into it. And I, I, my opinion, or I guess the way I see that people, the reason why people hold this up as like greatest movie ever made, um, bold underlined is is the context in which it's set because like I can watch this 80 years later and still enjoy it and still kind of be enamored with the performances and the, and the setting. It doesn't feel old. It doesn't really feel of its time with, with the, the exception of like a few marks, like, like Andrew said, like union forever. Um, it, it feels modern. It flows really well and you get something new on each viewing. It's not like a comfort movie. Like it's not like a, a rainy day I'm I'm inside with a bowl of popcorn. I'm gonna watch Citizen Kane, um, unless you're like a big nerd, which you know I might have done before. Um, but, <laughs> but it's it's definitely something that I don't mind going back to. It doesn't feel like a chore to watch this movie. Yeah. And I I just do want to point out that the, it, Joe, you skirted on this a little bit, but we didn't actually state it that at the end when we see all of his things and crates and whatnot it's the total indiana jones warehouse shot that mm -hmm. they oh, yeah. for sure. i was like oh look where they got that from indiana jones mm -hmm. copy oh this. yeah anyway just wanted to point it out only <laughs> borrow from the best that's right <laughs> it so worked many didn't copies. it andrew you had mentioned earlier about all the turner classic movie intros for this and there's one point when the only thing i really knew about this is that it was about hearst or mostly or partly or whatever you want to call it I, I did at one point think in my head it would be great to have Orson Welles just sitting in this big chair with a giant glass of scotch or whatever and look right into the camera and be like I'm Orson Welles and today we're going to talk about William Randolph Hearst and yellow journalism <laughs> and then cue the drunk history music <laughs> oh my lord that would be amazing speaking of speaking of favorite uh orson welles movies my my favorite i don't know tied for citizen kane they're both very different but if you're a film nerd and a, a nerd on on film editing and filmmaking go watch f for fake um he made it in the i'm gonna guess 70s late 60s 70s yeah, 1973 okay cool and it's it absolutely blew my mind the first time I saw it. It's so crazy and weird. And and Joe, like if you want Orson Welles looking into camera kind of like messing around with the audience, go watch that movie. <laughs> Cuz that's yeah, I think pretty we much should all add he several does. of his films based I mean yeah. based off of this, I in what Andrew was talking about with the other one, I, I really I want to see more of his films cuz I haven't yeah, watched me many of them if at all any except yeah, for this one. 
I'm personally ashamed I haven't really watched his uh, Shakespeare, you know, works. I I, I need to see that as well. I'm avoiding that. <laughs> Maybe leave that one off our list. <laughs> filmed <laughs> filmed Shakespeare heavy, is always yeah. a little bit weird, and I, there is that kind of uh, famously infamous production he did of oh, what was it? Macbeth. Macbeth. In, yeah, I think so. Was was it Africa? I don't know. He toured with an all black cast, and then he, he played. Macbeth in blackface but oh, it was geez. like oh, it, which sound it is it is bad it it's not Othello. a good thing but it really it kind of opened up people's eyes it kind of gave people at least at the time the quote-unquote okay sign to go see African and African performers doing Shakespeare and everybody yeah. called it like a triumph and this is genius and a lot of it they're just like Orson Welles is really smart but a lot of it had to do with like hey there's other great actors out there that aren't white right <laughs> kind of a little a little hmm. six of one, half a dozen of the other on that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm the same way. I haven't really watched his other films. So as we've been talking, I've been adding them to my Amazon watch list, so I can get through those and you know correct that. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff Bezos, for letting us watch. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together. Play again, a mad billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> It all comes together. That's the last piece of the puzzle. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to read the Washington Post now. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy some Whole Foods delivery. Good lord. We just take it, don't we? <laughs> That all said, I, I after finally seeing it and finally, you know, this was the point that I love about this this podcast so much. I would recommend this movie to to anybody who's who's uh, slightly interested in, in film. Um, yeah, it was it was good. I'm I'm glad I finally got to cross it off my list after all these years. <laughs> I'm glad you. And I don't have to tell anybody that I haven't seen it anymore. Right, no more embarrassment for you. <laughs> <laughs> now you get to shame other people. That's yes, right. I'll be all <laughs> snotty about it. the club. <laughs> you have your official card now. And <laughs> My king card. Whenever you need to. <laughs> well, now I can say I've seen his other great performance, and you know, putting it next to Unicron in the Transformer movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Please don't put that on the list. I've already seen it, and I don't. <laughs> I do. Okay, so I do want to mention just because. You know, it's it's kind of a like a funny fact or whatever. So his final uh, film performance, uh, Orson Welles, uh, 1987, a film called Someone to Love by Henry Jaglom, uh, oh, yeah. who kind of <laughs> he like became friends with Orson Welles by having like lunches. They they both ate at the same restaurant, just kind of hmm. became friends. And he was like, oh, I'll be in your film. And it's not known to be a good film. And there's a TCM intro with Henry Jaglom where he talks about his relationship with Orson Welles. And one wow. of the things he said that Orson Welles said to him uh, was, he said, well, you know, with Citizen Kane, a lot of people said, you know, uh, I started at the top, so my films could only get worse. At least your film didn't start at the top. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> wow. So it was kind of like a backhanded well, compliment. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, from better, him, but yeah, <laughs> from him, you can take that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, man. 
<laughs> I'm sure the guy knew he didn't make Citizen Kane, but you know, they have the guy who made Citizen Kane say that. <laughs> and now I got to look to see if he ever worked again in Hollywood. Oh God! Like I'm looking at his Jaglum, page now. He did some stuff. Yeah, Henry Jaglum was a—he was well known as an independent director for a while. That's why I'm looking too because I wanted to see. Oh, oh I'm seeing—I—I uh, I got the name wrong on the movie. I'm so sorry. It's a—a oh. a safe place from 1971. So early, way earlier than that. But he also he appeared. Orson Welles' last appearance was in Someone to Love, but he also this his the first film from Henry Jaglom was called A Safe Place, and that's yeah. that's what Orson Welles said that about. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Anyway, I hope we said I hope we said some things that no one has said before about Citizen Kane. Because, right. Uh, you know, I there's no shortage of people Not talking really. about Citizen Kane. <laughs> I'm sure we just rehashed what everybody else has said. I mean, you know, what else is there to say that... Now, I do want to... Okay, so since you asked, there is an investigation that I was trying to do. Oh, exciting. <laughs> Within the film, it is said that he marries the niece of the president. Yes. He right. marries the president's niece. Yes. And her name is uh, Emily Monroe Norton. Yes. Now, I... Did some investigation because this is not a real person, obviously. But what you know, and saying you know, the president's niece is kind of a, I guess it's a, a relation that you know is not easy to look up or, or double check, so it's believable that the president would have a niece, right? Um, but at the time that that they were talking about, uh, the president at that time when when Kane got married would have been Woodrow Wilson, okay. and Woodrow Wilson did have a niece. And much like uh, Kane's first wife in this film, she did die in an accident. Oh, wow. But I don't think it's related. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's all uh, coincidence. My name's Elisa, and I can be found on Twitter at ThisElisa. I'm Andrew Lindy, and I do several other podcasts, one of which is Nothing New, a remake podcast where we talk about uh, remakes. I think that explains itself pretty well. Uh, go to benvnetwork.com slash nothing new to find that or find it in your podcast app. I also wanted to highlight I did a recent guest run on the Knives Out Minute uh, oh. where I was I was on for five minutes, five episodes of, of the Knives Out Minute podcast. Cool. It was a lot of fun. Uh, those are available uh, wherever you find podcasts, Knives Out Minute. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Podcaster Andrew. I'm Bethany Brinton. I'm a musician and composer. I wrote the music you're hearing right now. You can find me on all the social things at Bethany Brinton. Uh, and we are It's On My List. You can find us everywhere at It's On My List Pod at all the social things. And if you want to send us an email, we are It's On My List Pod at gmail.com. And I am Cheryl Jones. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at SpeedwayCJ. You can listen to five years of Movies Made Me, available everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Amazon Music. And uh, at some point, I will have My Core 4 for you, so follow that at at My Core 4 Pod. And join me on the uh, Dragon Wagon Radio Discord. I'm Joe Myers. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at that Joe Myers. I am also the co-host of a horror podcast called The Podcast Macabre. You can find all of our information at 
podcastmacomp.com, uh, including we have just passed our 250th episode. So by the time awesome. you hear this, we should have wow. like, I don't know, 255 in the can. I'm sure you'll find something along there that you'll enjoy if you like horror. And this has been It's On My List.